Well, I have no text to read before praying, so let's just turn again to God and ask for his blessing upon the preaching this evening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, guide and direct us in the study of your word, as we've just prayed by the working of your spirit. You poured out your spirit on that Lord's Day, that first day of the week many years ago. We ask that you would grant to us a measure of that outpouring of the Spirit upon us this evening, not in miraculous signs, but in the power of the Spirit to illumine our minds and to make us more like Christ. We plead in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I've been intimating uh, throughout the past couple of days, the Many of the practical applications have been saved for tonight. And so it's going to be uh, kind of like a, a great big counseling session. So consider yourselves uh, counsel ease tonight. Uh, take out your pads of paper, uh, take down your notes, and uh, we can have follow-up sessions or you can meet with one of the other elders uh, to address whatever questions you might have. My desire is that we would come to bring these things to bear in a practical way on our lives as we strive to keep the Lord's Day holy. And so I have uh, several points. They're fairly uh, simple points. Uh, the first one is engage in a weekly, day-long, holy rest. And then it's preparation, participation, and preservation. There you go. It's not too difficult to follow, and I hope it'll be, you'll find it profitable. So the first thing is to engage in a weekly, day-long, holy rest. Of all the things that we've heard in these various texts, this is the baseline. That we should engage in a weekly, day-long, holy rest. Some of that wording comes from our confession. I'll mention that here in just a minute. But we start, start just with reminding us of the time of this rest and emphasize the fact that the scriptures make it very plain. It is a whole day, a whole day that is to be given to a holy rest in the presence of God. Not just an hour, not just a part of the morning, not a piece of the morning and a piece of the evening. It's a whole day from, I would say, at least from the time we rise to the time we go to bed. This should be the time that we should set aside for this weekly, day-long, holy rest every single week. This isn't a yearly conference. It's not a monthly retreat. It's a weekly activity. Now, the church for centuries has recognized that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ should be celebrated. And so, in the church calendar, they came up with a day, and they called it Easter. And they said, there, let's celebrate the resurrection. The problem with that is, there's many, but the biggest problem with that is, is that's not big enough. The resurrection should be weekly celebrated. In a sense, it should be celebrated every day of our lives. But there is a special day set aside every single week by God for us to celebrate this glorious reality. The Lord Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive 
indeed. And we should all be rejoicing and celebrating that on a weekly basis. I hope that by seeing these things from Genesis, from Exodus, from Deuteronomy, from Isaiah, and even in the New Testament, that we're convinced of that and that we're determined for that. The second thing on this first point of engaging in a weekly, day-long, holy rest is to remember the purpose of that rest. The 1689, the 1689 or the Second London Baptist Confession, summarizes, the, summarizes, the, summarizes it this way. A ceasing from the works, words, and thoughts about our worldly employment and recreations. And that's summarizing some of the things that we saw in uh, the, the Isaiah 58 passage in particular, but also Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Remember, maybe it would be good to memorize those promises stated by God through his prophet in Isaiah 58. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of Yahweh honorable, and honor it desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasures, and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in Yahweh, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. Robert Murray McShane has a sermon entitled, I Love the Sabbath. And in it, he seeks to motivate his hearers and himself by the promises and the blessings that are promised on this day. And God, he seems to, he strives to encourage us from the positive side of things to say, listen, this is your gift. Use it. Use it to its fullest. And he, he does something like the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, when Paul, after talking about the glorious salvation that has, a, that has come, then turns and says, I'm going to have a little more dense practical material here. And so he starts, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He says, I want to woo you. And remember, you still hear Pastor Ted Donnelly's accent as he said that word. God wants, Paul says, I want to woo you with all of these glorious truths about what God has done in Christ for you, the sinner. And may it move you. And that's what Isaiah 58 is meant to do and what Robert Murray Machine sought to do. Striving from a positive standpoint to say, be wooed to make the most of this gift. Brethren, it's, it's a gift. You can, with a good conscience, do this, regardless of what your boss wants to say, regardless of what pressures there are on you. It is before God that you can say, this day I cannot work, this day I will not go after my normal pleasures, this day I can focus on my God. And that's our privilege. Piper, Joseph Piper, Dr. Piper says in his book, God does not want you to define the day by what you may not do, but rather by what you may do. And that is truly a very good point. But I quickly add, 
You can't avoid the negative. The commands are given, and the promises are attached to exhortations that are put in the negative. Do not work. Turn your foot away from your ways. Avoid your words. And even do not do your do not turn your foot to uh, your own pleasures. It is a negative command. There are things we should not do. And we need to be convinced that that is what we should not do. For the preservation of the gift. B.B. Warfield, in his sermon on the Lord's Day, says this, This is the day on which the tired body rests from its appointed labor on which the worn spirit finds opportunity for recuperation, an oasis in the desert of earthly cares, when we can escape for a moment from the treadmill toil of daily life and refresh our souls in God. In order to do that, you have to stop doing other things. You have to cease from the rat race. You have to get out of the hamster wheel. Phil Riken, in his, there's a lot of quotes tonight too because these are all the books I've been reading. Phil Riken, in his book on the Ten Commandments, on this fourth commandment, says Close the calendar, go off the clock, and put away the to do list. It is a day to step out of the frenzy. Stop buying and selling, and quit worrying about the profit margin. In a culture that is increasingly, which increasingly treats Sunday like any other day of the week, thereby turning what is sacred into something secular, we need to resist the tendency to let our work enslave us, keeping the Lord's Day holy is the biblical answer to workaholism. And so, the purpose of the rest is to cease from our work and our pleasures, from our thoughts and our words, and give ourselves to the exquisite pleasure of communing with the living God. That brings me third to the character of this rest, which in some sense really focuses on the purpose of the rest. And I know these things all kind of run together, uh, but I just had a heart full and I just put it all on paper and tried to order it somewhat neatly. The character of the rest is holy. That is, it is set apart to God. It is done for the purpose of honoring Him. It is done for the purpose of drawing near to Him. This rest is to be done in the sight of and for the honor of and to be with and to enjoy the Lord, our Lord. It is a day when we can allow our souls, which long for God, which would long to have more time with God, which hopefully desire to lay hold of Christ more and to commune with Christ more, this is a day in which we can run in those pastures with a good conscience and full heart. And we can be well-fed. 
We can, in a sense, and to some degree, release the grip on the reins of our heart, which wants to run to God. We can put the blinders on to the normal cares of life, which tend to choke out the life, dry up the soul. And even to set aside those worldly, legitimate pleasures. By that I mean pleasures which find their beginning, middle, and end in this world. They're legitimate, but they're limited. They begin, middle, and they end here. And we can take those legitimate pleasures and allow our soul to run in something which is going to last forever. To run toward the life-giving, soul-refreshing, burden-lifting God in the name of Jesus Christ. We can do that on his day. One man put it this way, when the falling dust of the world has clogged the wheels of our affections, that they can scarce move toward God, the Sabbath comes and oils the wheels of our affections and they move swiftly. The heart which all the week was frozen on the Sabbath melts with the word. The Sabbath is a friend to religion. It files off the rust of our graces. It is the spiritual jubilee, that anniversary with the emphasis upon giving away or dealing with our debt and freeing us from bondage, wherein the soul is set to converse with its maker. That was Thomas Watson. The rest of the Lord's day is not a rest of inactivity though it is a rest, physical, mental, and spiritual. But it's not meant to be inactive. The Shorter Catechism, what is forbidden in the Fourth Commandment? How many of you can give me the answer? Mm, I know there's one person who probably can, but he won't raise his hand. Nevertheless, here's the answer. The fourth commandment forbids the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day by idleness or doing that which is in itself sinful or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works, except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. It forbids the omission of works, of what we should do, or the careless performance of the duties required. We can't just kind of throw ourselves in. We need to be all in, that's what he's saying. With those, command, those duties that are ours in worship and in knowing God. Again, B.B. Warfield says, inactivity was not the mark of God's Sabbath. When he rested from the works which he creatively made, up to this very moment, he has been working continuously. And imitating him, our Sabbath is also to be filled with work. And we, like him, are to do our appointed work. Six days you shall labor and do all thy work, and then, laying it all aside, turn to another task. In one word, the Sabbath is the Lord's day, not ours, and on it, it is to be done, is to be done the Lord's work, not ours. And that is our rest. We are to rest from our own things that we may give ourselves to the things of God. So much for dry theologians. 
And there's some very helpful helps in terms of understanding this holy rest. Things like the 1689 London Baptist Confession, chapter 22. Or the Baptist version of the Shorter Catechism or the Westminster, Confession, Westminster Shorter Catechism, questions 60 to 65. And I would add question 93, which talks about how to profit from hearing the word. We should engage in a, week, in a weekly, day-long, holy rest. My heading originally, I'm thinking I must have gotten it from one of my books, had these two other words in it, full and focused. Our rest should be full and focused. Full, the Sabbath is over and over described as a day unto the Lord, and it sh we should fill that day. In the New Testament, the focus of the day is clarified, as, I saw, as we saw this morning, by the person and work of Jesus, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, who is, who is supremely over the Sabbath. And so the purpose of the day is to give opportunity for us to focus our energies, to focus our attentions upon the Lord Jesus Christ in a fulsome way with our whole hearts, letting our affections run, letting our minds trace out thoughts of, of theology that we otherwise don't have time to run down. Taking our consciences and seeking to reshape them by the study of the word, to frame them according to what is pleasing unto Christ, and pleasing according to our Father. It is a day for putting away the distractions and non-essentials in our pursuit of God. So in this full and focused sense, and there's a title of a book, it's called The Stolen Focus, because... In our world, a lot of our focus has been stolen by various means. So, as a general rule, in this engaging a weekly, day-long, holy rest, in this first point, I want to put right up front here, remove any and all distractions that will hinder you. Take your computer, turn off the internet if you need to. Take your phone and limit or even eliminate its use. Those projects that you're working on, sewing, woodworking, puzzles, you name it, set them aside so they don't call to you. Games and toys, take them and put them away or have a limited number. You know, one of the things with young children that I find that parents do that we did a lot of was pick up after them. <laughs> because they have such short attention spans, the toys go everywhere all the time. And so, hey, well, you know, let's just give them three or four so, so that we're not doing all the running around to pick up after them. It's just a suggestion there, but to help you to keep the day from being overwrought with cleanup after your children or have some special ones that are just for this day. Now let me just say, and I've got it in my notes somewhere, but I'll say it right here. I am very much aware and very concerned that this not become a list of pharisaical, my rules for how you keep the Lord's day. I am seeking to draw principles and give suggestions and counsel. There will be points at which I say you must, but they will be written in Scripture. Other times, I'm just saying, he, this is what we need to do. If we're, gonna, if we're going to engage in a weekly, day-long 
holy rest, then these things are one of our greatest enemies. Because they beep and they buzz all day long with all kinds of notifications from all different kinds of angles. And you can get on there 24-7, 377 days a year. I know there's only 365, but there's just, I mean, you can do it all the time. And buy things, read things, hear things, which would not necessarily in any way benefit the Lord's Day. And even if there are lots of podcasts and lots of things you could listen to and lots of things you could read, couldn't there be one day with less screen time? Just one day where you actually pick up something that's got some substance to it and you can flip the pages. All right, I'm off my soapbox. But I think it's worth considering. And considering for our families, especially if they have these devices. Again, in this opening section on engaging in a weekly, day-long, holy rest, uh, I have a, another point, fifth point. I have the time of the day, the purpose, the, ch the character, the full and focused nature. And then what about children? What about children? Yes, this is one of the big things. And Proverbs 27, 23 says to you fathers in particular, but to parents in general, it says, know well the condition of your flocks. And talking about business, he's an agricultural society. He's talking about knowing your business well. But as shepherds of our children's of our children we need to know our flock we need to know their limitations we need to know their weaknesses we need to know their challenges and their trials and and therefore we need to know as to how much we can push them how much we can limit them how much we can direct them don't make excuses for your children well, our ch my child is just one of those really wired children, and they need lots of time. Okay, fine. That doesn't mean they have to tear through the pews after the service. That doesn't mean that they have to be let free and not exercise any self-control over the way that they show their enthusiasm and get out their energies on Sunday afternoon. They can still learn self-control. And if you just let them run free, then guess what? You're training yourself and them that they can just run free. And that's not good. They need to exercise self-control. And God has given them a unique couple of instruments for making that self-control possible. Mom and dad. So help them to learn self-control. But you got to know your flock. You know, so some of them, they can, do, they can sit and read a book and you've got to say, you know what? You need to actually sit and memorize a verse. You can read that book all day long. That's good. But you need to memorize a verse. Or you need to sing a hymn. Or you need to... And, and directing them according to the way that will develop them. We need to take to heart Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. If you want to look there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, this is Old Covenant religion. But it's exactly where Jesus grabs the part of the summary for... Uh, the whole law, because this is what we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which Yahweh your God has commanded me to teach you. Moses is talking to the, the second generation. It's about to go into the promised land. That you might do it in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear Yahweh your God, 
to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you shall listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And then he gets right into the heart of it. Here is your theological foundation. Here's your theological center. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is one. And here is the foundational principle that summarizes old covenant religion. It's the same one that summarizes new covenant religion. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. I think Moses stole that from Jesus. Matter of fact, I know he got it from Jesus because it was the spirit of Jesus that was inspiring the prophets. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Are they, are they parents? Brothers and sisters, these need to be on our hearts first before we start taking them and passing them there as we seek to pass them to our children. But we need to have them here. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall speak to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as phylacteries between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, you just got to keep them out there and keep reminding of yourself they're there. And don't we always need to hear that? All of us need to be constantly reminded because we're so bombarded and we so quickly forget things pass through our minds. And so one of the dominant privilege, one of the dominant responsibilities that we have as parents in helping our children is to teach them. We need to teach them about the Sabbath day. We need to teach them about what it is like. We need to train them and exemplify for them. In family worship, we need to practice with them. We need to manifest a proper disposition for our children that's marked by holiness and happiness. Honesty and humility. Fathers, husbands. This is a men's conference. You ladies get to hear some of this. Gentlemen. This is especially your responsibility. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. That the fathers are to train up their children in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Of the Lord. Well, what a better place to do that? In the presence of the Lord on the Lord's Day. To train them what this day is about. What it looks like. God gave you children to train them up. This requires more than barking out orders. And just setting up boundaries. It has to do with leading and engaging and helping and loving them. When they look at you, they see something of a picture, whether they like it or not, and whether you like it or not, of what God is like, because he's a father. And he's described himself that way. You have so many voices crying for your children's ears. What are you doing to get your voice in their ears? Take the day, use it, teach them. Oh, where can I find time to sit with my son and talk to him about the important things in life? How about the Lord's Day afternoon? The Lord's Day evening? Parents, my children are older. You're saying, yeah, yes, you know, you're not changing diapers and you're not, you know, trying to feed these little hungry things and 
trying to get these wrestling worms to sit still. Yeah, you're not being, well, I've been there. And my children will tell you, I remember what that was like. Parents, there are seasons of extreme self-denial. Embrace it. It's part of parenting. It's part of why God gave you children, so that you would learn self-denial, so that you would learn how to, to give of yourself for somebody else. Train them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord and take the time to do it. Bear the brunt of it and the burden of it. Fathers, do that. It's not your wife's responsibility to always be doing that, especially not to do it alone. Yes, I know when you're in the office or gone from the home, she has to take up that burden. But here at church, she shouldn't be the only one looking at the kids. I know, I love some of you. You're so eager to hear the word of God. And all six of them are going, you don't even see it. I know I was there. I didn't see it. It's real easy to forget. You've got a charge there next to you you're supposed to take care of. That's your responsibility. Keep an eye on them. I was saying to somebody, I, I, I remember my father very well from the Lord's Day services with his very strong right hand. Latching on to my very weak shoulder or my very, my very narrow thigh back then. It's, oh, okay, time to sit up. Don't let them slouch. Don't let them disrespect the word of God. Don't let them just wander with their thoughts and their words. Well, you can't stop their thoughts, but their eyes and such. Direct them, teach them, guide them. That's why God has given them to you. And please, I hope, I hope I don't have to say this with any kind, I don't say it with any kind of malice or any kind of, of, of real burden, danger. I just say, you know, be assured, please be assured and convinced that the most important thing for your children is that they are saved and that they know the Lord. And where else can they better hear Christ than when he come into his house, when he speaks by his servants and through his word? Help them to listen. Give them outlines or have them write outlines or give them little booklets where they write a word down and they're checking off a word. Find some way to get their minds engaged so that they can follow along and learn how to listen to sermons. And then finally, some foundational questions to help determine this. Found, finally, point one. Foundational questions to help determine if something should be done on the Sabbath or not. One of the men suggested some questions, and it, they were good questions. As a matter of fact, Dr. Piper had done the same thing. Does this thing you are doing or want to do promote the purposes of the day? That's the foundational principle. Is it going to promote the purposes we've talked about for this day? Does it promote the cause of the gospel in my life or the life of others? Does it promote the worship of God by me or by others? Can I say I'm going to be closer with God by doing this and in doing this, or am I going to be farther from God? Is it going to cause others to be closer to God and walk with the Lord or draw them away from the Lord? If it's not pushing you toward the Lord and helping you in this, then it's not fitting in with the specific purpose of this day. Second question, is good being done to my neighbor physically or more importantly, spiritually? This is that matter of, of mercy. A work of mercy is something which does something that helps somebody else. 
What spiritual benefit, and this is the question that, that Dr. Piper brought up, what spiritual benefit comes to the waitress who's serving you your lunch while you're eating in the restaurant? Well, I'm going to take an opportunity to, to witness to her. Okay, that's possible. But it's not likely that this is the thing you're going to do for the chef or the maitre d'. Is this really the best place to be spending your time on a Lord's Day afternoon sitting in a restaurant with others working around you? And as I said, almost every book that I read, when it came to talking about going out, when it came to talking about servants, it said, almost every one of them said, without, without question, you shouldn't go out to restaurants on Sunday. You shouldn't make other people work for you. You should do everything you can to, not, to try not to make other people work for you. And so you need to consider that. And am I really doing some spiritual good or physical good for that person? Does your act free that person up to worship? Does it make it possible for them to enjoy the purposes of the day? The issue uh, for you is whether or not you are doing those things that promote or hinder the spiritual well-being of people. This is the issue. And so this is where the true and undefiled religion comes in. Visiting orphans and widows, shut-ins. Grandparents are great people to visit on the Lord's Day. But remember the purpose of it. Right? The purpose of it is to help grandparents, is to help these people to encourage their hearts by going and ministering to them. That they're loved and bring some gospel truth to them or encourage them in the way of God. Evangelism, outreach, these are the kinds of things that would fit under these matters of mercy or piety. And then is it necessary? Does it need to be done today, on the Lord's day? Is, it the, necess is the necessity due to my negligence or my carelessness? If it is, then confess your carelessness, take care of your self-inflicted emergency, and then get back on track. My carelessness, my poor use of time, my procrastination does not make it necessary for me to do something on the Lord's Day. Or it might, but again, it's because I was sinfully not using my time before. And we already talked about being out of gas. And how that affects it. And other things could happen too. There's just not enough time to get my schoolwork done. Oh. But you had time to sit at your video game for an hour. You had the time to chat with your friends for an hour. You had time. Oh. Yes, no, you're not doing that on the Lord's Day. You want to get up at 2 a.m.? I'll get up with 2 a.m. You'll get up at 2 a.m. On Monday. But we're not doing that on the Lord's Day. Make all necessary chores. One of the suggestions was make all necessary chores group thing, group, group events. So you all clean up after dinner and not just mom. Maybe mom doesn't even do it at all on the Lord's Day. And that's something of her gift. Gentlemen, here again is something that you need to do to take care of your wife. You might need to find ways to help her get a rest on the Lord's Day. Because her duties are within the house and generally involve cooking and taking care of everybody. So that's just necessary activity. Maybe somebody else could help her with that necessary activity on many days, but especially on the Lord's Day. And then naps. So we've talked about that. Younger children appropriate uh, for naps and what energy they need to get out 
sure that the different ones need that. But then moving on, it's really coming down to the fact that this is the market day of the soul. The Puritans called it the market day of the soul. What person who, who wants to go to the market doesn't take time to, first of all, prepare to make sure they've got enough money, that the market that they're going to has the things that they actually need, and that they have the ability to get there and get back and get their other work done. What person doesn't take time to prepare? What person, when they're in the marketplace, isn't doing everything they can to get the most for their money? And what person in a marketplace isn't actually doing all they can to try to make the most out of their time there? If a, worldly, if a worldling does that in a marketplace, then what should we be doing in the market day of the soul? We should engage in everything profitably. And so I've broken this down into three headings. Preparation, participation, and preservation. Preparation. When Saturday evening approaches, Thomas Watson says, sound a retreat. Call your minds off from the world and summon your thoughts together to think of the great work of the approaching day. Purge out all unclean affections, which may indispose you for the work of the Sabbath. Evening preparation will be like the tuning of an instrument. It will fit the heart better for the duties of the ensuing Sabbath. Robert Martin says, common sense tells us that special days call for special preparation. And the more special the day is, the more we recognize intuitively our need to prepare ahead. So for a sporting event, you certainly try to make sure that you have enough money set aside for the event. You have all of your gear for the event. Could you imagine, well, maybe some of you can, weddings? Oh, we've only got a day or two. Well, you know, we got a few hours. Let's just, we'll, we'll take care of it then. Well, we'll buy the dress. No, no, it's all months ahead. You're preparing for this big day. What kind of preparation do you give for the Lord's Day? Prepare practically, both your pers personally and family. Make sure you have clothes to wear. Get the laundry and ironing done, if you iron anything, for you and your family before the Lord's Day. Make sure you have gas in your car or your cars necessary for the Lord's Day. Get out on Saturday and check that out. Make sure you have the food available and it's, and it's possibly already prepared as much as you possibly can to, again, benefit on the Lord's Day. Ensure that Bibles and notebooks and everything that everybody's going to need for the Lord's Day are found on Saturday and you're not scattered to finding, where is my Bible? Oh, Mr. Johnson's got it on his desk down there, by the way. And you get it prepared ahead of time so that you're saying, I want to profit from this day. I want to have all my tools ready. I want to have my heart ready. So we're there and actually benefiting from the day. And then prepare physically. Sabbath keeping promotes stewardship of time in the way tithing promotes stewardship of possessions. That was Joseph Piper. When you start getting involved, say, well, I've got this one day that... It's blocked out. I know some of you. See, I know some of you because you get ready for vacation. And it's like, those two weeks are blocked out. And so it's like, I know exactly what all I have to get done before I go. It's all got to get done and it will get done. Or I'm going to push it off till afterwards because I know that so-and-so doesn't need it quite then. And I'll get to it when I get back. If you can do that for a vacation, why can't we do that for the Lord's Day? Why can't we take that kind of preparation? I hope you do. 
Get duties done as early as possible on Saturday. Get the necessary rest you need on Saturday. Seek to do this, not to, by sleeping in, but by getting to bed early. Because we sleep in and then we have to run around like chickens with our heads cut off in a frenetic effort to try to get here on time. And, well, maybe that doesn't quite happen. So make sure your clothes, your cars, your meals are all ready. Work hard the other six days of the week to accomplish everything by Saturday night. And let's see, so this doesn't, this doesn't just happen then on Saturday, right? You're going to pill your head tonight, and I hope you're praying, Lord, help me Monday morning to get up and start thinking, how am I going to get ready for the next Sabbath? How am I going to prepare? What do I need to get done so that I'm not cramming it all in on Saturday morning? God did not make man to play or for idleness. He made him to work. And that's what the command says, right? Six days you shall labor. And the seventh is a Sabbath. The rest of the Lord's day is inconsistent with lazy life. The rest of the Lord's day is inconsistent with a lazy life. Fulfill your calling. Work your six days. This is part of your imitating of God your Father. And then get the sleep that you need and trust God to get all the other things done. Is he not big enough? Do you remember what the Sabbath was like for the Israelites? The Sabbath was once every week, and then it was once every seven years, and then it was once... Could you imagine after six years you couldn't go to work for a year? They couldn't plant for a year. So what did they have to trust God to do? That he would give enough in that year to feed them for at least two years and possibly three years before they had to plant again. That took a lot of faith. Whether it ever really happened or not, it's questionable. But the fact of the matter is, that's what it was going to take. And that's what it takes for us, faith, to be able to say, I can set this aside. You know what? The world is not on your shoulders. Let me just tell you that. Looking around, I don't see anybody wearing the world on their shoulders. A lot of these things, you, brother, we just think too highly of ourselves, that we're just too important. And then prepare spiritually. That's prepare physically, practically, now spiritually. Watson says, dress your souls for hearing the word. I love Watson. The best preparation for the Lord's Day, Jeremy Walker said, will be a persistent pursuit of a distinctive and consistent walk before God throughout all the week. Did you get that? The best preparation for the Lord's Day will be a persistent pursuit of a distinctive and consistent walk before God throughout the week. In other words, keep reading those love letters all week long so you'll be prepared when you come to hear the Word of God and meet with your lover, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the Lord's Day. Confess any known sin to God. Be done with your sins. Let the Lord's Day be pressure on your soul that I can't approach a holy God with this still in my conscience. So cry out to God for forgiveness. Plead with Him to forgive you and to wash you clean. Could it be that some of us are not knowing the presence of God meeting with us in our private times or on the Lord's Day because we have His commandments, but we're not keeping them? Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus said that the pure in heart will see God. 
Could it be that you're not seeing God in the preaching of the Word and in the opening up of the Word because your eyes are not pure throughout the week? And if they have been impure throughout the week, then you go to the fountain that's open for sin and uncleanness and you start getting ready so that your eyes will be pure in the presence of God that you might see your Savior. That He might disclose Himself unto you. And that He might dwell with you. Jesus said in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He can't dwell in a filthy house. And then deal with offenses. Matthew 18 says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. What a glorious thing to be able to come to church on the Lord's Day. What a wonderful thing to gather in here and say, My brother and I were reconciled before God before we came. He has nothing against me. I've won my brother and we can come together to the throne of grace. What a blessing. Or, as he says, be on your guard if your brother sins. If he repents, forgive him. Be done with it. Put it away. Don't come bearing that grudge. And if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. I'm not saying you get up from the pew over here and a bunch of people walk over here to the pew over here and start talking to people during the service. But you determine, I'm going to deal with that. And actually, this is before you come. Determine, if you know your brother has aught against you, go to him. Make it right. Confess your sins. Seek to understand. Seek to address these things that you might be. You know, one of the greatest fears I have is that I would be aching. And I don't mean so, joints. I mean the man aching from the, from the Bible. The whole nation of Israel lost their war. Because one man violated the covenant. Now it was a serious crime. It was under a curse. My friends, I, I hope you have something of a holy fear that you won't be that person. So when you see sin in you, you'll deal with it. And do this with your family. Work with your family. As you prepare as well, rejoice at the coming of the day. I hope, I hope you can be as delightful as, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say the brother's name because you all know him, because that's whistling all the time. Hymns. Filled with delight. I want to get this. I want to praise God. It's even in my head. It's running through my... Do you do that? Let me just give you a hint. Sing a hymn or two before you come to church. Because I'm going to pick some hymns that have really high tessitura. They're really high up there. And if your voice isn't ready, it's going to squeak. So prepare your voice to be able to sing to God. But prepare your heart to be able to sing by singing, reading scripture to guide your mind. Read the psalm or scripture passage that's coming for this coming Lord's Day. Fill your mind with the truths of the spiritual songs and hymns. Sing even out loud if you, if you need to. And then certainly that you might sing within the worship. But prepare yourself by meditation. Meditate on creation, the fall, redemption, and consummation. Pray for yourself and pray for others. Especially pray for those who are ministering the word. That we might be bold and might declare the truth as we ought to. Pray for us. I thank you that you pray for us. I know most, many of you do. 
It's a great blessing. But maybe some of you have not because you ask not. And maybe some of you have not because you're not here on Wednesday night asking with the rest of us. And so God says, I'm, I heard those prayers. Those are the brethren I'm ministering to. If the pastor is in a series of sermons, which generally we are, and it's announced on Wednesday who's going to be preaching, and you're pretty much assured that if Pastor Chansky's name is mentioned, we're going to be in Romans. And as you hear different ones, say, okay, where are they? And they're so, go out, take your notes out. Maybe catch up your mind. Where have we been? Where is he going to go? Our practice on Saturday evenings was, was generally take out the psalm and read the psalm that was going to be in the morning worship, that was going to lead us to worship, and, and ask the question, how, how can this help us to worship God tomorrow? Let's think about it now, so that when we come tomorrow, we're ready for it. Some of you take that time at the breakfast table on Sunday morning, but take time to prepare yourself spiritually as well as physically and practically. Watson says, the reason why many get no more good out on the Sabbath by the word preached is because they do not breakfast with God in the morning by reading the word. Pa participation. We need to participate in these kinds of acts on the rest of the day. Let's go to the marketplace. Let's do business with God. Let's take the time to read our Bibles. Let's take time to engage in spiritual transactions. Seek to meet with God in your worship. Be crying out to Him in the midst of it. When you find your mind watering, wandering, go back and say, Lord, draw me back. Keep me engaged. Take the opportunity in the midst of it to, afforded to you to explicitly honor God. Think about what you're saying about God in the singing of these hymns. If I could say one very practical thing for participation on the Lord's Day, the most important activity of the Lord's Day is the public worship of God. Be there. Always. All the time. The righteous man swears to his own hurt, Psalm 15, verse 4. Coming into the membership, you said, I'll be at the stated meetings. Be there. But I was providentially hindered. Well, I have, a, I have a way of thinking about providential hindrances, and you can help me come up with a better word, but here's how I say it. It's a providential hindrance if you're willing to blame God for it. Now, I don't mean blame as saying God did something bad, but you're going to put all of the weight on his shoulders. It's all about what you did, God, that I was out of my control. That's a providential hindrance. And if you can't say that, then it's probably something on your shoulders. But be there. Give yourself eagerly to hearing and receiving the word from God by his servants. Be there among the saints to experience the boundless love of Christ. Strive to improve all the means of grace associated with the public gathering of God's people. And don't wait till your heart feels like it. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. B.B. Warfield said it this way. 
I am to speak to you today, not of the usefulness or of the blessedness of the Sabbath, but of its obligation. This is the day on which the tired body rests from its appointed labor, on which the worn spirit finds opportunity for recuperation, an oasis in the desert of earthly cares, when we can escape for a moment from the treadmill toil of daily life, refresh our soul and refresh our souls in God. I am to recall your minds to the contemplation of the duty of the Sabbath and to ask you to let them rest for a moment on the bald notion of authority. This is B.B. Warfield. I do not admit that in doing so, I am asking you to lower your eyes. Rather, I conceive myself to be inviting you to raise them to raise them to the very pinnacle of the pinnacle. After all is said, there is no greater word than ought. And there is no higher reason for keeping the Sabbath than that I ought to keep it. That I owe it to God, the Lord, to keep it in accordance with His command. That doesn't sit well on our ears, but it's absolutely true. Do you remember the Queen of Sheba who visited Solomon? When she visited Solomon and learned about his wisdom and saw the, the gold in his, in his palace and the servants and how they were dressed and, and all that was there in his court, <clears throat> and she said, the half of it was not told me. Then she said, How blessed are your men. How blessed are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. And brethren, a greater than Solomon is here to serve the king of kings is the greatest role that any human being could ever have. It's better than being the chef at the White House. It's better than being the counselor to the, to the highest stations in any business. It's better than CEO. It's better than anything. We are serving the Creator and Redeemer. That is our privilege. To obey His command His our, should be our delight. So be at all the services. Arrive on time. If you're teaching or if you're bringing children to be taught or if you're attending a service, be on time. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Did you say you would be here? Then be here. Think of your brethren. What you would that others do to you, do to them. Do you want to make them wait? Do you want to be a distraction? Do you know how easy it is for me to get distracted? That's why I like sitting as far front as possible. Because every motion 
And when I do that, my heart goes there. And I bring it back. So I like to sit where I have less distraction. But if people are walking in, 5, 10, 15, it's a distraction. It's also a little bit discouraging when you sit down up here on the platform and half of the seats are still empty. Because I know there's more people than that that are members of the church. Arrive on time, brethren. We don't need to swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes. And then seek to engage, as we talked about our words, seek to engage in edifying conversations. And this will be hard at first, because you'll be trying to say something. Um, what did you think about the sermon today? And it sounds so trite. It sounds so forced. It sounds, well, okay, fine. Maybe it sounds forced, but then maybe it'll start a conversation that then next time it won't be so forced. And maybe it'll actually prove some profitable conversation. And then the whole matter of preservation. I need to move on because my time is gone. How do I spend the afternoon? How do I spend the evening? Well, how about some extended family worship? In a world when family worship is often squeezed out and often squeezed down by all the other calls upon us, and we're running off in all kinds of different directions, and it only gets worse as children get older, then maybe on the Lord's Day when everybody's here, family time can be God time where we can talk about the things of God, talk about the sermons, listen to another sermon, read something together, or sit and just read quietly in a room all together. Read to your children. Bring it down to their level. Ask them about the sermon. And if they didn't get it, you make it small enough for them. Give them something to chew on that they can chew on and take home with them. Yes, I use big words. Make them small for them. I try to do that. It helps the children benefits to benefit from the message. Bring it down to their level. Reinforce the lessons that they got in their Sunday school class. It was one of the questions we often ask. So, what did you learn in Sunday school? Mm, I don't know. Not a good answer. Because I know the teacher didn't talk about I don't know. What's this picture about? Oh, draw them out, reinforce it, help them to learn, make the most of it. Brethren, you're, you're responsible for helping your children. We're responsible for helping ourselves. As I said, I've learned some verses. I memorized some verses with my children when they were young, and I still got the song in my head. Don't ask me what, what it is, because that would, no one will come out. Reinforce lessons, Bible charades, do other activities suited for children's age, do Bible memory work. Hey, maybe if their Sunday school class is learning the catechism, you could actually help them memorize the catechism on Sunday afternoon. Well, there's a thought. You can actually help the teacher who's trying to help you. I'm being somewhat sarcastic here because that's really a sad state is that that doesn't happen. Though they've got so many other things to memorize. I know that. They go to, I'm in the, the school. I see what they have to memorize. But what about Sunday afternoon? One afternoon, you pick an afternoon where they're going to work on their catechism. Why not help them schedule so they can memorize more? Their memories are incredible. What are you doing to memorize? Sunday's a good time to memorize. We listen to scripture a lot of times on the way to church. Because my wife's memorizing a particular passage. And I'm learning it as she's going. Things 
to do in the living room, things that you can go on a quick walk. There was one family that we loved our children going to because the dad would take him out on a walk and talk about the glories of creation. And our son would especially come back with all kinds of wonderful things that he had learned that afternoon, walking in the way, taking Deuteronomy 6 to heart. Families that have used the Lord's Day books. We had Lord's Day books. These are the books you can read on the Lord's Day. And they were spiritual books that are, encouraged our children to read and to learn from. And, and before that, we had toys. And uh, Ruth Peel is one of the most magnificent sun, uh, Lord's Day afternoon uh, instructors that I've ever come across. She laminates everything. And she's got all kinds of cards and games with spiritual lessons and such that she has designed. Does that take time? Yeah, it takes time. That's part of what we need to do. We need to engage. We need to give ourselves to these kinds of tasks for ourselves as well as our children. Maybe engage in some intensified personal worship afterwards. Reading your Bible before you go to bed. Singing a few more hymns. Take some time to meditate. Never enough time to meditate, is there? How about Lord's Day afternoon, Lord's Day evening? You take time to think through some things. Contemplate where your life has been and what God has done for you and where your life is going and what God has for you. Contemplate heaven. These things can be done in a quiet corner with a cup of tea or a little bit of coffee. They can be done on a trail. They can be done in a park, on a park bench. They can be done alone. They can be done with others. Take time. Another thing to do with those to preserve is, is, is fellowship. You can do that in the afternoon. You can do that in the evenings now that our service is supposed to end a little earlier. So you have some time. Take time to fellowship and use that for fellowship. Really getting to know somebody. So getting outside yourself and asking questions. Not to be nosy, but to love people. Find out what they're dealing with, what they're wrestling with, where, what they're... They, they love the most. What verses they've, they've meditated on? What's helped them in their walk with God? And where are they reading? And what are they doing? You know, one of my favorite questions I ask almost everybody. What are you reading these days? Hmm, labels. What are you reading? Pick up a book. Read something. I read a, a, a story about a, a, a runner not a story, this is a personal interaction with somebody about a runner who, who was getting groggy and sleepy on Sunday, so he would take a short run on the Lord's Day afternoons. But the temptation became too great, and running started overrunning the, the Lord's Day. You've got to know yourself. You've got to be honest with yourself. Your heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Don't let it run away with you. Don't let it convince you that something's okay when you know it's not. And there's a devil out there, as we've heard about. He's a, he, we, need to be, we need to be sober in spirit and be on the alert for the adversary. The devil is like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. He wants to devour your Lord's Day so you won't benefit from it. He wants to be those birds that come in and snatch the seed away. You young people, you're going to leave this place. And you have seeds scattered on the soil of your heart. And you need to plead with God. And we all need to plead with God for our children and those sitting in this place. That our hearts would be fruitful soil. The fruit will be born. It won't be snatched away and it won't dry up when we get hit with the sun of tribulation and it won't be choked out by the world that's going to meet us as soon as we wake up tomorrow morning. Plead with God that it bears fruit, takes root. I had to throw out some wheat in my backyard because I've got so many bugs. And it's, 
It's only been out there a day or two, and it's greener than my, my lawn. But it'll be gone, because it'll just shrivel up like that. Don't let the word of God be that. Drive it home. Discuss what you've heard. Review your notes. Pray that the Lord will help. Four final counsels, and I will be done. Increase your appetite for God. If we are looking for a loophole in the Lord's day, then we are missing the whole point of the fourth commandment. Our problem is that we find it so hard to take genuine delight in the sanctified pleasures of God. Dare I say it? God bores us. We are willing to spend some of our time worshiping him, but then we feel like we need a break. And so we go right back to the world's lesser pleasures. Don't let it be you. Be strict with yourself and to some degree with your families, but more lenient toward others. And keep a good conscience. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And don't cause your brother to stumble. If you're, going, if you're doing it with a good conscience, then welcome anybody to question why you did it and be ready to say, I did it with a good conscience, here's my reasons. And if they give you better reasons, then repent and accept their reasons. Trust God to provide and expect God to bless. My friends, there's some of you sitting here. You may not be actually ready to say, ah, this is all boring and I really don't want to be here. You may not feel that way, but you're just kind of biding your time and being a good kid. I was a good kid. I really was. And church was not a big deal for me, but I wasn't saved. And all the things that I kept hearing and all the truths that were going over were, were going through my soul, but there was not a love for Christ and there was not a desire to meet with, with God and be right with God. If that's you today, the seed has been sown again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that gospel is the only answer to your greatest need, that you be right with God, that you can have a purpose that lasts beyond your death, which you don't know when it's coming. And every sin will meet you on the day of judgment if it hasn't been washed in the blood of Christ. My friend, my friend, don't meet God that way. You have been given a Sabbath rest, forced upon you maybe by your family's practices, but you have been given a Sabbath rest where you have been able to meet in the presence of the living God, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to you and says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. Go to him. Find the forgiveness that you need, that you might walk with him and enjoy a blessed life of sins forgiven, adoption in his family, and the hope of heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and plead with you that you would help us to have hearts that are good soil. Work in our hearts that the things which we've heard, which are true from your word, would bear a hundredfold fruit. May none of us be satisfied with 10, 20, 30, or even 60, but a hundredfold. Lord, cause your word to work that we would be all you mean for us to be. For the glory of King Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.